Well, good morning, everyone. That kind of got you off guard, didn't it, right? Some of you are wanting to get loose in the room, right? That's all the dance I'm going to do because I grew up Mennonite. The only dance I know in my life is the butter churn, and I'll show it to you some other day than that day, okay? Some of you are like, what's the butter churn? Right? It's the only dance Mennonites can do. Amish people too, right? It's this. That's all we can do. That's the only dance that fits in the look. That's right, yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, I want to welcome all of you to all of our churches. You're like, what in the world happened in Mariana at worship today, right? It was really good. But anyhow, um, so Bluntstown, Chipley, Mariana, so good to have all of you today because we are beginning a brand new five-week sermon series entitled, It Ain't Rocket Surgery. But hey, before we jump into this conversation today, I just really want to thank you for being a church that is for our communities. And by the way, because you're for our communities, our Easter services at all of our churches was an incredible experience. We had over 2,000 adults, over 570 children, almost 2,600 people at all of our campuses last week. That's pretty incredible. It is. It really is. And I just want to say thank you to all of you who made that possible by serving. Many of you served two times. I said it was one time on a Sunday. I mean, you served two services. And I want to say thanks to all of you who give um, to make that possible as well. Because as a matter of fact, the week before Easter, we did something that was unusual for most of you. We did a reverse offering. We passed the offering buckets around, and everybody took an envelope out, and you didn't know what was in it, but inside of it was $40. And the challenge we gave you was to pray and ask God to show you who you should bless with that $40. And then you were to go to the grocery store the week before Easter and let God lead you to the person that you needed to bless Um, to help buy down their groceries because that's an area where people are getting hit the hardest. And we have heard so many amazing stories of how God led you to the right person at the right time. I mean, it is so amazing how many of you walked up to a person and they needed that money and you just had a great cry with them and were able to bless them with that $40 or you walked up and people were having to put things back or take things out and you were able to say, no, God wants you to have that. We want to bless you with that. And just an incredible opportunity um, to bless our communities. In fact, one man was here last week because he had seven different people approach him to bless him, and he figured out that God was trying to get his attention, so he better show up, and he did. But I just wanna tell you, this is the church being the church, because the reality is some of you get, came around that guy, and not only did you help him, but you, one of you took him in for the weekend, you helped him get perspective, and, and you helped him kind of like reorient himself, and then some of you came together and you helped send him back to his home And um, he was reunited to be able to see his daughter, who is now seven years old, and he has not seen her since seven months. I'm just telling you guys, you never know the power of an invite. And he's, he's, it's incredible because I mean, still working this guy and trying to help him find his way in life. But that's, there's so many stories like that. I could go on story after story of people that you have connected with in our communities and you're helping them find their way all because it's just the power of, of a blessing. And that's what the church should be in our communities. Just this incredible blessing. And, and I'm telling you, um, I think today even will be a great service for you to realize, oh, we need to be inviting people for this sermon series as well. So um, thank you so much. 
Can we just celebrate what God is doing through you guys as a church? It's just absolutely amazing. Um, and by the way, Fairhope, let me just tell you this, because some of you, uh, Fairhope was one of our campuses. We launched them out, and, and I've told you they're going to be launching another campus uh, beginning of next year, and uh, you, you're going to have, as a church, you're going to be having grandchildren now. They had over 350 people at their Easter service this year, so that's pretty incredible. So, I mean, you guys just, you're making a huge impact in this region, and um yeah, God's just doing amazing things. So, um, man, let's jump into today's talk because I can stand up here and talk about that all day long. But I'll just go ahead and tell you, if you want to hear more about that, make plans to be here for Evening of Vision on May the 7th at 5 o'clock. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be a great evening of worship, communion together. And then we're going to be talking about what God is doing, what he's done, where he's taking us. And then after that, we're just going to have a big after party. All our campus is going to come together on Mariana campus. And afterwards, we're going to have food and fun and just, man, hang out together. Uh, so you don't want to miss that night. Be time for all of our churches to be able to interact with each other. So go ahead and grab your phones now and go to the RCC app. You can find the talk notes there or you can take out your Bibles uh, because we're going to be in Genesis today. That's an easy book to find for you. It's the first one in the Bible. Now, here's the thing. I can imagine when you saw this title for this sermon series, it ain't rocket surgery. <laughs> You're going, ah, that's, what's that all about? I mean, after all, rocket Surgery, those two words don't usually go together. Well, it's a play on rocket science and brain surgery, two things that are notoriously complex and difficult to understand. And I think it's just a great name for this series because as I've discovered over the years, uh, whenever we are overwhelmed with life, we oftentimes make the decisions about certain situations or circumstances. We make them monumental tasks. We oftentimes get bogged down in the details, the emotion. We get overcome with anxiety and fear. We get overwhelmed with worry in our life. And I say this because as a pastor, I am approached by people almost daily who share with me some situation or a problem that they're facing, and it's just absolutely overwhelming them. And after they share, they'll say something like this. Pastor, I don't know what to do. I'm just so confused. I'm, I'm so overwhelmed. For instance, I'm in a dating relationship, and, and somebody that respected you pulled you aside, and, and one day, or they tell you in that conversation, they tell you, um, I don't think this person is the right kind of relationship for you, and they, they give you a good reason why. And then suddenly you've got this decision to make. Do I ignore it because I have these strong feelings for this person? Or, or do you pay attention to this person and what they're saying and possibly get out of the relationship? Or, or maybe for you, it's some of um, you're happy with your job, but then out of the blue, you, you get another job offer that pays more, but it requires you to move and you're torn because on one hand, you want to move forward in your career. On the other hand, you're in a really good situation with your job and you have a lot of good relationships in the community and you've got spiritual support and you wish you didn't have to make this decision, but it's there. And you've got to figure out which way to go or maybe you're even looking for a job and then you get two offers. And now you've got this choice between I'm not sure which one is going to be the best job offer. Or maybe for you, it's money's running out and you got to decide whether to downsize the house or downgrade your lifestyle or get a second job. I mean, sometimes the decisions just seem so complex and overwhelming. 
Or sometimes a decision comes when you're in a relationship with someone and they want things to go further faster and you don't want them to go further faster. You just don't want to go there with them and you don't feel comfortable doing what they are going at the speed that they want to go. And now you've got to make this hard decision. Do I, do I say something? Do I go along or do I get out of this relationship entirely? I mean, sometimes it's like the issue of seeing things going on in someone else's life or in your workplace, and you're not sure whether to speak up or to stay silent. On one hand, you don't want your friend to get hurt or people to get hurt. You don't want somebody to suffer, but but you don't want people to do things that they're going to regret doing later, but, but you wonder, should I just keep my nose clean and kind of stay out of it? Besides, if you say something and it costs you a friendship or a job or an opportunity, that's a really tough place to be, isn't it? Now, here's the thing. Whenever somebody shares a problem with me and they ask, what do I do? I usually listen, ask a few questions to get more clarity and insight. And, and then if I have an opinion, which if you know me, I normally do, um, I'll give it. But here's the thing I've learned through some great mentoring in my life, um, had the privilege of having some really good mentors in my life, that there's this process that I've kind of learned over the years that has helped me as a follower of Jesus to deal with life difficult circumstances and, and decisions. And it, it's a process that Scripture teaches us. And so whether I'm trying to make a decision myself or trying to help someone else make a decision, it's a process that I think always leads to better decisions and better outcomes. Now, here's the thing. This process I'm going to be sharing with you throughout this sermon series is, is not going to tell you what to do, but it does give you the questions to ask to help you figure it out. So what we're going to do during this series is we're going to give you that process. So if you miss a Sunday, make sure you go online and watch or listen so that you can get all the steps in the process. Specifically, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you five questions that Scripture teaches you that you should ask in any decision or in any circumstance to help in getting clarity on how following Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. And so today what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the very first question, and the first question is this, and that is this. Why do I want to do this really? Or another way of saying is this is, am I being completely honest with myself? See, here's what most of us don't understand about decision making or dealing with difficult circumstances. Making great decisions doesn't start with researching and analyzing the decision, because that's where most of us start. But great decision-making, it doesn't start with researching and analyzing the decision. It actually starts with researching and analyzing your heart, your motives, your own desires. Now, the reason this is such a big question to ask is that there's one thing that I know is that is true for every one of us. See, I don't even have to know you really well to know that you're an expert, just like I am, in convincing yourself that something is a good idea, even if it's not really a good idea. I mean, for example, you, you can have no money and you can be deep in debt, but if you want to go on a get weekend getaway or you want to buy some new furniture or you want a new car, I mean, you're really good at self-deception, aren't you? 
I mean, you, you can explain it to everybody why this is such a brilliant idea. Let, let me give you one example. How often do you talk yourself out of exercise? <laughs> All the time, right? I mean, you'll say something like this. Well, I'm starting tomorrow. And then tomorrow gets here, and about 30 minutes before it's time to exercise, random parts of your body start hurting. Like, I got this little pain in my knee right here, or I think I'm getting a headache. I think I better wait tomorrow till I feel better. I just got way too much to do today. I mean, there's no way. Oh, it's too nice outside to be in the gym today, so I'll go tomorrow. Or it's too rainy today to go out and go be in the gym. I'll go tomorrow. Isn't that how our life works? It's like once your heart decides you want something, it sends a message to your brain saying, hey, brain, can you come up with some reason why I shouldn't do the thing that I know I should do? So the brain comes up with some reason, and then you believe the lie you tell yourself that you came up with. And that's foolish. But we all do it. I mean, you're like a pro at talking yourself out of exercise, but at the same time, you have no problem talking yourself into dessert, do you? Like, that just happens naturally. It's like, I can eat that dessert because tomorrow I'm going to go exercise. And that how it works? See, the point is, we are experts at rationalization and self-deception, and we do it all the time. And what's crazy is we know that when we do that, that we hurt ourselves and then we ultimately hurt other people. But we keep on because we're not nearly as interested in the truth as we are in our happiness in the moment. And here's the problem with that. What makes you happy one day will, will make you unhappy another day. Like, have you ever heard anybody saying, listen, I'm marrying them because they just make me so happy. And then a few years later, they say, I'm leaving them because they just don't make me happy. Right? Or I'm just so happy. I got this new car and me and the bank, we own it together. Right? And then two years later, they're telling you, oh, man, I wish I never bought this car. Man, these payments are just about to kill me. And this thing's just a piece of junk, you know? So what makes you happy today can easily make you unhappy tomorrow. But there's something in all of us that wants to choose the option that seems like the easiest path with the greatest or the biggest emotional appeal. Now, the unfortunate thing about this is the danger in living that way is this, is that you eventually get lost on your journey with Jesus, and you end up in a place in your life or your career or your relationships that you don't want to be. So you have to learn to ask yourself this question before every decision or in every circumstance where you're trying to make a decision. Why do I want to do this really? Now, today we're going to look at an account from Scripture of a guy who learned this lesson the hard way. And this is one of the things I love about the Bible. It doesn't hide the mistakes, it doesn't hide the sins, and it doesn't hide the foolishness of the people in it, even if they were significant or important people. And by the way, this guy was a very significant, important person. His name is Abram. Eventually, his name was changed to Abraham. And the story we're going to look at is found in Genesis chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to go there, 
I'm going to put the scripture on the screen, but if you want to follow along your Bible, it's going to be easy because, as I said, Genesis is easy to find. It's the first book in the Bible. Now, you've probably heard of Abram or Abraham before, but let me explain to you why he was significant. See, God comes to Abraham at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, and he makes several promises to Abraham, very significant promises. One, that God was going to create what we know as the nation of Israel from his descendants. He says, your, your descendants, man, it's going to be like the stars in the sky. It's going to be like the sand on the seashore. I mean, you're going to have this huge family. That's pretty significant. Another promise was that all the land where Abraham was living would someday belong to his descendants. And that's why where the nation of Israel exists is often called the promised land, because it was promised land to Abraham and his descendants. But the most important promise that God made to Abraham that was through Abraham and his descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed because all people, because of his descendant, namely the Messiah, Jesus, they could have a relationship with their heavenly father simply by faith. In other words, whether you were part of God's family, God says to Abraham, it's not going to be based on how good you are or whether you choose or what you choose to trust in in other ways or circumstances. He goes, no, 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 no. Your relationship with me is going to be based on faith in me. And Abraham believed God's promise, which is why he's often called the father of faith. Now, remember, one of those promises that God made to Abraham was that his descendants would become a great nation. Now, you got to understand something about that promise. That was not an easy promise for Abraham to believe. Because Abraham, got to understand something, he's 75 when God makes this promise, 75 years old, and he doesn't have a son. His wife is 10 years younger than him, so she's 65. They don't have a child. So he and his wife, Sarah, they wait to get pregnant. They wait one year, they wait two years, then five years, then 10 years. It was 25 years before they had their son, Isaac, that's right. He was 100 years old. Now, here's why that's important. In the middle of the waiting, and this is what often gets us, in the middle of waiting, trying to figure out what God is up to, what God is doing, Abraham faced some circumstances that he did not expect to face, and he had to make some decisions that he didn't want to make. And he made several terrible choices or decisions during that time. And today, I want to read you one of those stories because it's so easy when we're in the waiting time and we're trying to figure out what God is going to do or how God is going to come through for us to make it up on our own and to not be honest with ourselves. So not long after God had made all these promises to Abraham, there was an unexpected famine in the land where he was living. And this is what Abraham does. Notice this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abraham, or Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. So there's his first mistake. The, ha- the famine hits, and he's thinking, well, what do I do? But instead of staying where God told him to stay and trusting God to provide for him, he decides, well, Egypt would be a better option. And this is when the wheels begin to fall off in his decision-making. I mean, you're not going to believe what happens next, but I want you to notice this in verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, 
He says to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. To which I am sure Sarah is saying, why are you saying that? Because any woman knows when she gets complimented like that by her husband, he has some ulterior motive, right? I mean, it's not just enough to get a compliment. That's why there's always a follow-up question, guys, even though we're not prepared for it. <laughs> we're not. Because so, most of the time, women know, like, ah, oh, yeah, he's got something else going on here. So next time, ladies, just let us off the hook and just go, yeah, thanks, dear. Appreciate that, right? Well, Abraham's not interested in giving more specific details because, as I said, he's got this ulterior motive. And this is where it gets really, really crazy. Look at verse 12. When the Egyptians see you, Abram's talking to his wife Sarah here, they're going to say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Well, Abraham, hang on just a second. How do you know that? Well, I just know. I mean, I've heard rumors. I mean, people tell me these things about these Egyptian people. Well, then just don't go to Egypt. Just stay put where God put you to begin with. But Abraham has other ulterior Ideas. Notice what he says in verse 13. Say you are my sister. And if you are underlining things in your Bible, underline this phrase right here. So that I will be treated well for your sake. And my life will be spared because of you. Now, you don't have to have a triple digit IQ to know this is a bad idea for any marriage. I mean, it's not even logical. But somehow Abraham convinces his wife, Sarah, to go along with this. But there's something else I don't want you to miss that Abraham is doing here. And this is something that many of us do all the time to rationalize and justify our decisions. Abraham is telling a half-truth. Abraham shades the truth. Sarah was his half-sister, but the whole truth is she was his wife. And I want to tell you something, folks. This is where most of us get in trouble. It's the process where the wheels start coming off for us. We start shading the truth. We start telling a half-truth. And by the way, shading the truth or a half-truth is as much as a lie as everything being a lie that you say. So notice what Abraham does next. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she, referring to Sarah, was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. As you read the story, you go, Abraham doesn't say a word. He, he just lets her go. I mean, he knows she's going to be part of Pharaoh's sex harem. I mean, that's just unthinkable. Like, how could any man allow that to happen to his wife without a fight? I mean, let's just kind of review this situation. Abraham shouldn't have gone to Egypt, but he did. He shouldn't have lied about his wife and let Pharaoh take her into his harem, but he did. What's driving all of this thing that he's doing? Now, here's the thing. 
If you would have been able to have a conversation with Abraham at that moment, I'm sure he most likely would have told you, well, I'm just trying to protect and provide for my family. I'm, I'm trying to protect myself because if I'm killed, then God's promises won't come true. And that's kind of what we were taught when we were children growing up, right? But that's just self-deception. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, it says, he, referring to Pharaoh, treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants, maid servants, and camels. I mean, like, wait a minute, Abraham. You're getting rich off of giving your wife away to be part of Pharaoh's sex harem? Like, how's she feeling about this? And I'm sure Abraham would have done like many of us. Well, I just couldn't help it. It just, it just happened. No, you knew it could happen. You, you had a conversation about it before it happened. You could have averted this. It didn't just happen. And see, that's where self-deception always leads us. We, we start making excuses then when there's these catastrophes that happen. or like, well, it just happened. No, it didn't just happen. We started shading the truth. We stopped being honest with ourselves. Fortunately, God in his grace, he steps in the middle of Abraham's mess. Notice verse 17. Here's what happened. But the Lord, he inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. Now, I don't have time to get into this, but the Egyptians believed disease were sent by gods. You understand that through the plague story. So that's what God used to get their attention. So notice what happens next. So Pharaoh summons Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Notice the next verse. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything that he had. Now, if you had asked Abraham why he made that decision, he would most likely told you, well, I'm just trying to protect my life. I'm trying to save my family so that we can fulfill the promise of God. But that wasn't the real reason. I mean, after all, when Pharaoh discovered Abraham had been lying to him, he didn't kill him, did he? So Abraham, why are you doing this really? Why? If you look back at verse 13 and verse 16, you find the reason he wanted to benefit. He wanted to increase. He says, he will treat me well if we do this. So Abraham, why are you doing this really? Well, honestly, because I wanted to get wealthier. And I knew that if I did this, Pharaoh would give me a lot of wealth. Listen, because Abraham was not honest with himself or his wife, Sarah, or with Pharaoh, he made bad decision on top of bad decision and piled on more bad decisions. And I'm going to tell you something. That bad decision became a defining moment in his life. You go, how did it become a defining moment? It didn't just become a defining moment in his life. It became a defining moment in his family line. Because that decision also became a decision that his son emulated once he got married. 
And by the way, it didn't just stop with his son, the tendency to deceive and lie and shade the truth. It didn't just stop with his son, Isaac. Remember, his son, Isaac, wasn't even born when Abraham did this lie. But Isaac began to live out the same kind of lie. But then not only did Isaac live out that lie, but that tendency passed to his grandsons, Jacob and Esau. So can we be honest for just a minute? We, we all do this kind of thing, don't we? We all lie to ourselves and we lie to other people about why we really are doing what we want to do. We all do it. It's why we look back on certain decisions now and we say, what was I thinking then? Why, why, why did I even think that was a good idea? How did I think I could get away with that? But it is simply because you were not honest with yourself about your own motives. And listen, as easy as it is to see in other people, please understand this. It is very difficult to point out to yourself when you have fallen into the trap of self-deception. So every time you make a decision, you need to be aware. Man, your heart, it is deceitful. And if you're not careful, you're going to fool yourself. You're going to justify and you're going to rationalize why you're doing what you're doing. And you're going to tell all kinds of good stories. And it's going to make all kinds of sense to you and some of the people around you. And other people are going to scratch their head and go, I don't even say, oh, that's a good idea. So this week, as you face difficult decisions, will you spend some time asking yourself this question, why do I want to do this really? It was kind of imitating or intimidating to ask this question, isn't it? Because you already know the truth. And if you ask yourself this question, then you've got no excuse. I mean, if you ask this selfish question, then you've got to admit the real reason why what you want to purchase isn't what you need. Why what you want to purchase isn't more reliable. It's just because you're insecure or you don't feel good about yourself. And so you want to convince people that you're somebody that you're not, or you just have this shopping addiction and you just need to buy something to try to make yourself feel better. But when you ask yourself this question, why do I want to do this really? Then, then the, you got to be honest and say, the real reason I want to marry them is not because I'm in love with them. I'm just lonely. Or the real reason that you want to divorce them isn't because you've fallen out of love. It's just you just don't want to put the effort or work into all the baggies that you both brought in the marriage and the baggies that you created since you've been there. It's just easier to bail. Listen, I'm telling you, if you start asking this question, you will start making some significant process in your emotional maturity and in your spiritual growth. But I'm just going to tell you, it won't be pretty. It won't be fun because it's going to force you to own up to what's really going on in your heart. So here's how you do this. Here's how you begin to apply this first question. This week, I want you to pull out your laptop, whatever you take notes on, or you write ideas down in or get a piece of paper. And I want you to write down why you're making the decisions that you are presently making or why you made certain decisions in the past week or month. I mean, just be completely honest with yourself. Now listen, 
You don't have to share this with anybody else if you don't want to, because it's going to be so painful for you. It's like, oh, I'll be embarrassed to share this. I mean, nobody has to see it. But you need to be honest with yourself about why you're making or you've made the decisions that you've made. And by the way, here's why it's so important for you to be honest with yourself. Your lack of honesty, it won't just affect you. Just like Abraham, the tendency to deceive and lie, his sins, our sins, they get passed down to the next generations. So let me give you a list of things to kind of consider as you get honest with yourself about why you're making the decisions that you're presently making. So the real reason I'm in debt is, I mean, come on, be honest. Was it really because you couldn't help it? They didn't pay you enough? Why are you really in debt? What is it really? Or how about the next one? The real reason I'm dating him or her is, why are you really dating them? You just don't want to be alone? The real reason I'm sleeping with them? Why am I really sleeping with them? I just don't want to lose this relationship. Well, the real reason I want a divorce, the real reason I want to quit this job, the real reason I'm taking this job, the real reason I won't call my parents or my kids, the real reason I bought or built that is. Now, we know what we're telling everybody else. Here's why I bought it. Here's why I built it. The real reason I'm moving in Think about it. Well, why are we doing this? The next one. The real reason I drink so much? Well, why am I doing this? The real reason I'm overweight? The real reason I quit going to church? What's the real reason for all these? See, we have have our reasons where we blame other people and other circumstances and situations. But blame never gets you anywhere in life. Blame is just a form of rationalization and justification. Listen, you, you, you don't have to tell anybody else. But would you be completely honest with yourself about what's driving your decision making? Why why not do this? Listen, there is no advantage to you in lying to yourself anymore. It it just lets the lie gain power in your life and takes you further into trouble because you just keep repeating the same foolish decisions over and over again, and you find yourself in very difficult circumstances over and over again. I'm just telling you, lying to yourself, it only leads to regret. So will you commit to being honest with yourself about why you are doing what you're doing, even if it is painful to face the truth? Listen, you need to be completely honest with yourself because when you do, Jesus says, the truth will be your path to freedom. Listen, if you, if you have to make some really tough decisions this week, Start asking yourself, why am I doing this really? 
And I'll tell you this, you're going to have to make tough decisions for the rest of your life. So we got to learn how to make the best ones and the wise ones. And if we want to end up in a place that God ultimately wants us to be, the place where Jesus wants you to be, then every decision has the potential to be a defining moment. So don't deceive yourself. There's just way too much at stake. Learn to be completely honest with yourself about why you do what you do. And you'll discover, I'm telling you, that'll lead to a much better life and wiser decisions. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, um, this morning we have begun a journey that we're going to go on for these next five weeks and it's going to take us to a pinnacle question and a pinnacle decision. That could just totally revolutionize and change all of our lives when it comes to our relationship with ourselves, but more importantly, our relationship with you and with others. So God, I just pray that as we go on this journey for these next five weeks that you help us to apply each one of these steps in this process, begin the process of applying this so that when we finish this conversation, we can experience what I really believe that you want all of us to experience, this amazing, abundant life because of our relationship with you God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit has been here this morning. I thank you that you've been speaking into each of our hearts. And I thank you, take, thank you that you've taken the words that have come from my mouth. And, and you're applying them to each person's heart and mind. So God, is, as we go our way today, I just ask that your Holy Spirit will continue to work. And may we not quench or may we not grieve your spirit, but may we find time to pull away. And in a place of solitude, with full sincere surrender to you, begin to ask this question for the decisions that we're about to make this week or that we have made this past week. And God, help us to be honest with you and ourselves. And I just want to thank you for your grace. And I thank you for your kindness. And I thank you for your forgiveness. And more than that, I thank you for your strength that you will use and the light of your word to guide us on our path and even to help us get out of our ditches. So God, thank you so much for what we're going to be learning together, but most of all, what we learned together today, and may we begin to apply it so that our lives can be better because then we're on your path. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Hey, thanks everyone for being with us today. We'll see you back next week. Don't forget to invite someone to this series. I think it'd be very helpful. Have a great week.